Metricast. The more you understand how your own mind works and how other people's psyche works, that actually very much changes the habitual patterns you fall into that are more reactionary. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. And do you want to master the art of communication in your business? Then listen to Talia Jacqueline, CEO of Visceral, an expert in business psychology and communications. Talia emphasizes that how you say something is more important than what you say, and that only 7% of communication is words. In this episode, she explains, first, the importance of tonality. Second, how imposter syndrome is a good thing. And lastly, why your business is a reflection of you. Let's talk with Talia and learn how to harness the power of communication in your business and how to create healthy work cultures. Hey, Talia, thanks for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing? Doing so good. I am just so honored to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Well, I'm honored to have you. I love to start with what do you do professionally? Yeah. So really, we're on a mission to train companies in communication. I think so much of communication is understood as perfecting words and making sure that everything is really masterful in your pitch. And so our heart, my heart and soul is in training companies around the psychology of communication. And it turns out that we work with a lot of financial firms and companies and professional services who have these really strong tactical skills within their line of work. But really, when it comes to personal and relational skills, we call it conversational intelligence. That is just wildly missing in business. So we have a training company that essentially teaches businesses that. Is it communication with prospective clients, with peers, with colleagues, like all of the above? Great question. So there are two specific focuses. We work with C-suite on really the brand message, how they create a good culture inside and outside for the company. So there is an external facing component to that. And then we work with their sales teams, client facing teams. We call it the intrapreneur program that really trains them in having an ownership mindset and communicating as if they owned the company itself. So we've got an internal and external focus. It really depends on what part of the company we're working in. This topic always fascinates me (laughs) yeah, because it's just so powerful, right? (laughs) When we're talking about communication deficiencies, I'm not sure if that's the right term, but a lot of times leaders or people in position of having a staff, what do you often see like where their weaknesses are, where they need to improve? Yeah, I mean, I'm equally fascinated by this. I could probably geek out and talk about it endlessly, but it's the lack of understanding tone. So as a child, you know, we're scolded many times, like, watch your tone. And yet in business and as we adult and we build things, we don't actually understand. I think many business owners do not understand the role that tonality plays in how people process what you say and how they respond to you. So it's really tonality that I think is really lost in the communication deficiencies. That makes me think of that saying, it's not what you say, it's how you say it kind of thing. Is that basically what we're talking about? 
It's how you say it. And there's so many layers to that, Tyler. You know, when people think about how they say it, I think even still they're focusing on how do they tell a story or how do they, you know, create an artful conversation when really the how you say it is where you're coming from. So what emotion, what intent, what tone do you communicate? By tone, I mean, are you coming from a place of anxiousness? Are you coming from a place of anger? Are you coming from a place of excitement, of love, of care? The right tone and the right context and the right conversation leads to incredible, you know, I would say relationships in business and then growth as a result of that. Is there some trick or technique? So one of my flaws that I've had to work on is something will happen that's negative or happens in my life. And I'm quick-witted in the sense that I'll respond quickly. And a lot of times that quick-witted, as much as I like being quick-witted, it isn't necessarily the right the right thing. And it actually digs my hole deeper. Is there a technique or something that that other than just pausing and taking a deep breath, yeah. does, is that a common thing? I'm just curious. Is, is that's... No, it's very, it's very common. I think when you're in one of those situations where you get to put a fire out, you're just quick to react. I think that's human nature. The more you understand how your own mind works and how other people's psyche works, that actually very much changes the habitual patterns you fall into that are more reactionary. Because I'm a really big believer that you have to If you're not responding in a way that's productive for your company, whether it's to an employee, whether it's to a client, and you're just quick to react, it's something you don't understand about whether it's your mind, the psychology behind things that are just underneath the surface of the day-to-day. And when you understand it, that's also not enough. So when I started studying psychology and business, I mean, you can read endless books on this. There's no shortage of information and data out there. The application of it is a whole other game. And I think it takes a lot to distill something so profound and wise and scientific down into an actionable thing that you can use. And that's really what I've dedicated my whole career to, honestly. Very cool. And that gives me a good segue. I got a little deep into the communication part, which I want to talk about more. But I want to back up to a little bit more about you. You started a company when you were 20 years old. It was a trauma therapy practice. I'd love to just first like, what gives you the guts to like start a business at 20? Because that's a pretty, pretty young age, which is awesome. And then why trauma therapy? Yeah, I love that question. Thanks for going back to that. It's very much the origin of this role. I think as many people who end up in any line of therapy or coaching, it was very personally motivated. I was studying psychology and business in undergrad, but I mean, I had gone through so much trauma myself in my childhood that was resurfacing around college. And I just was in traditional therapy and everything has a place and everything helps someone. For me, it wasn't helping. And I felt like there was just a really long road ahead of, you know, why is it going to take me 20 years to heal something that happened to me in a day, basically, or whatever. And I just couldn't, I couldn't accept that. And so it came from a very personally motivated place where I then went outside of school while I was still in school and I pursued like really unconventional modalities in therapy. It led me to a company in Canada, Vancouver, that I would literally fly back and forth to during college, which was wild. It was a hustle. I was living in New York City at the time. So maybe I fit the profile, but it was really tough. But what I learned was it was revolutionary, genuinely. I mean, I I was in a group of about 10 other doctors because they were using these trauma techniques as a holistic approach to helping people heal physical ailments. So I was just like 
young 20 year old, no one even remembers me being there the first retreat. And within four months, I was a completely different person, completely different person. And I thought that that was my like purpose in life to then take that and share that with people who had been through trauma too. And that is what I started and found that it actually did not matter how much I knew, how much I could help people as a 20 year old, sometimes even as a 40 year old, when you go out and people ask you that annoying question, what do you do sometimes? It's really hard to answer that. And I found that really hard. And that's what opened up the world of communication. Interesting. So I'm just thinking in my head, you're rubbing shoulders with doctors at, at the age 20. That's must be, was there a part of you where there's a little bit of an imposter syndrome going on in terms of, yeah. There were a few doctors, there were a few millionaires in the group. There were just like incredible business owners. They were all very interested in holistic forms of healing and human potential. And absolutely, I mean, I have come to learn that imposter syndrome, which so many people experience as a negative thing, is actually a good thing. I had a mentor say this to me actually recently, um, and I thought it was so profound. He said, if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you're becoming someone that you're not, which is a good thing. It means you're changing. And I just loved that flip versus imposter syndrome means I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I'm not fit for whatever I'm telling people I do. Right, right. That that is cool. That is a cool flip. Hey, I wanted to get a little bit into pricing. I know you shared something with me that I thought was just just really a unique and great way of looking at things. You kind mm-hmm. of struggled with pricing your services. I think it was even at the same period time period twenty. Exactly that period. Can you kind of take us through that? Because it's just a great story. I feel. Yeah, I think so many business owners struggle with this. Yes. I, because of imposter syndrome at the time, I charged really low, and yet I was in this group where. We had a business consultant who was helping us create, you know, our companies out of it. And the bar was $5,000 for five sessions. That was the package. That was what we were all selling. And I started off with 400 for five sessions. (laughs) And here's what I found. And this was at 20. I think I was actually 21 at this point. I had my first client pay me the 400 and she never showed up to any of the sessions. (laughs) Never showed up. And I had to learn... I'll tell you a funny story. Maybe hopefully it's not a crazy segue. The biggest fear that I had was charging for anything that I was doing. And I had a consultant at the time. I've always had business consultants and mentors. They've made me better. He said to me, what are you so afraid of? Like, what's the belief or what are you afraid of around charging? And I said, I think people are going to think I'm crazy. I'm 21, 22, and I'm charging 5K for five sessions. People are going to look at me and I'm going to be like ripped to pieces. And he was like, okay, so if it's about being crazy, what's crazy? What's the craziest amount that you could charge? And I literally said 300K for a year to work with me. And he said, for the next 15 prospects you talk to, you're going to tell them that you charge 300K a year. Do it and see what happens. And I'm not even kidding you, Tyler. Within the first four, I had experienced the fear that I was so afraid of. It was like exposure therapy. And by like the sixth or seventh, I genuinely can't remember which one it was in that order. Somebody literally, I had talked to them a few times and we were still building rapport. They forgot it as if they like heard my name wrong. And they were like, well, that's out of my scope, but could you do 50 for this scope? And I'm not kidding. That was my my first like five-figure client. Wow. That is a great story. I mean, if you even think about that, you go from $400 to $50,000. That's a pretty... I was within two years. Yeah. Within two years, but... Even, you know, the progression between the 400 to the 50, 
yeah, it was pretty crazy. But what I learned, and this is what I hope other business owners who are listening can learn as well, is that you've got to figure out a way to make make the numbers neutral. Yeah. Like if you're in an angst or, you know, you don't feel like you can ask for money at all, like I couldn't at that time, you have to figure out a, a way to make it neutral and then actually get in alignment with what you believe your value is. So as a resource, one of the books that I probably share with everyone, even clients today, is a book by Alan Weiss called Value-Based Fees. He is in the business consulting space. And that book literally has formulas and concepts that you almost like wouldn't even have thought about if you didn't read it. He goes back to people having charged for advice back back in the day as like astrologists or whoever's. And it just really is a profound book. So I'd, I'd throw that out there as a resource for every business owner. Yeah, that's a great book. Doesn't he have like 10 books? I mean, he has a lot of oh, books. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, oh, wow. he's a great, I must have probably half of them. So that's a great resource. In fact, you know, speaking of books, when you originally said communication intelligence, I feel like that's a book if it isn't already. Conversational intelligence? Yeah, or conversation. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I feel like, cause I immediately thought of emotional intelligence and I thought, oh, wow, that's got kind of a coined term. And I probably shouldn't yeah. be bringing this up, but I could see that being a book. Yeah. No, it's good. It's fine. We are working on a few trademarks right now for a few of our programs, but I actually just gave that presentation last week. And just to give you guys a glimpse into how I look at it, it's actually emotional intelligence plus relational intelligence. Ah, okay. Equals CIQ, which is what we call conversational intelligence. And it's a really fun thing to teach. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Hey, so getting back on it, just uh, I want to finish on the pricing thing. I do see that a lot among business owners. Uh, you know, where I'll, I'll see it is they'll have tons of work, but they're not really making a fair value on what they're doing service for. And they kind of have a little bit of a minimalistic viewpoint mm-hmm. in that, well, if I raise my pricing, I'll lose some of that business. What's your thoughts around that? Did you think that at, at one point or what? Oh, yeah. yeah. What do oh, you yeah. think? Yeah. Well, it's the the power of your mind in a negative way. And you know what? I would probably say now looking back in the way that I even, you know, run my business today, I kind of want the clients that don't want to pay that. I don't want, sorry, I don't want the clients that don't want to make it a fair exchange between the value that I'm giving and we're giving in our programs and the value that they're receiving. I think this is really contextualized. It has to be contextualized for the person, Tyler. But I really believe that people fundamentally charge less than they actually are worth. Yeah, I agree with you. So switching gears a little bit, what do you find as an entrepreneur? What are, now that you're a little bit further down in your journey, what's one of the biggest challenges that you see as an entrepreneur that you're facing and you're trying to overcome? Oh, yeah. You know what? I was very rebellious when I started in my early 20s. I think I always kind of have been and maybe a lot of business owners are. And for me at the time, I built my company without a website. I wanted to get to five, six figures without anything in terms of social proof and credibility because I needed to learn, especially being so young, the skill set of shaking hands and the skill set of building a business offline before I threw myself into all these lead generation strategies and God knows what else. And that did help me grow tremendously, but it also it also got me to a point where I kind of outgrew my capacity. And then I really had to start thinking through like building a team and building something that was gonna grow and live beyond me. And that's a whole that's a whole different game. I don't know if I would have changed the way that I started, but I wish that I understood 
the power of not doing it all yourself earlier. Because I think many times as type A entrepreneurs or business owners, like that's like your badge of honor. You're like, yes, I'm a solopreneur. And I also selfishly love the work I do. So it was also challenging for me. I don't have many administrative things. We don't, we literally just train. Now my team's about four people and they're, they're really amazing. I just think that that's something that I, I didn't quite understand was not serving me until I grew beyond my capabilities to actually to manage and service people. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. I just think that that's something that I, I didn't quite understand was not serving me until I grew beyond my capabilities to actually to manage and service people. That's fascinating though, that your whole mindset was, I'm going to be offline. I'm going to kind of go through the school of hard knocks first and build yeah. my business and then go online. Because, you know, a lot of people, I think they feel like the online is a shortcut. You know, you can get to people really quickly. You can get to a lot of people really quickly. So it's kind of a shortcut right? to growing. I actually look at it, Tyler, as it's an amplifier of whatever you've already built. So if you don't know how to communicate your brand message and you go and you try to communicate that online where you have so much more exposure to so many other variables, there's a like there's no way that it's going to land if it's not landing offline. So one of our strategies is called O2O, offline to online. How do you actually get super singular on the problem you solve, the market you're going after, the product or service, the brand message, the strategy offline so that you know it works based on who you're talking to. Plugging that online is leverage versus trying to like throw stuff on a wall and see what sticks. Yeah. So a lot of the audience comes in really two parts from the feedback I get is you get very established businesses that tend to be like in that one to $10 million range of annual revenue. And they're thinking about maybe building a leadership team or, you know, how do I get to the next level? How do I scale? Is there something in that realm? And there's a two-part question I'll ask you. I'll let you answer the first part. Is there something in that realm that you would say, hey, if you're the entrepreneur, you're the owner, here's some things that you might want to work on based on what you're seeing in kind of that, that demographic? Yeah, based on them wanting to scale and grow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would get really clear with like the DNA of your brand identity. So like, what is the DNA? What is the problem? The one problem that you solve that you can't not solve? What's the psychographic market? The one psychographic market that you're after? What is the one product or service? You have to get really singular back to what I was saying, because then that allows you to actually see based on that vertical where you can go horizontal and then bring on other team members or figure out a way to scale. But I think so much of the time people start with such a wide net and then think about strategies to scale when like, it's really hard to scale that many ideas. You've got to get really clear and narrowed down. So I'm a really, really big believer of that. There's a great book called The One Thing, which is also around time management, Gary Keller. But I'm a strong believer of that when it comes to scaling business. I think you, the other part of that too, is you've got to think on shorter timelines. 
Like people think of scale as like, here's our one-year strategy. I think of it as like, what's my next 30 to 60 days? And then what's my next 30 to 60 days after that? They have to be reverse engineered from the longer term goal, bigger picture, but they've got to be actions that you can take today. I like that. I like that a lot. You know, when you said that, it made me think of, I don't know if you've read this book, The 12-Week Year. It's all designed around, instead of thinking, we often think a year and then we break things into quarterly. It's thinking in periods of 12 weeks and trying to, what can you do in a year in 12 wow. weeks? Like not necessarily accomplish a whole year, but it's it's kind of resets you from thinking quarterly. It's like, just pick 12 weeks. Yeah. That's really cool. Can I add to that that you just reminded me of? Please, please. A business advisor of ours right now, He's incredible. And he actually thinks this way, that if you're measuring time based on how people measured time 100 years ago, based on what we have as resources in technology today, you are using the wrong data and metric points. So he actually looks at every single day as three days in one. Wow. He sees 12 to 6 as a day, 6 to 12 as a day, 12 to 6 as a day. Like He's broken it down to like, How many days in a week do you actually have if you recognize that what you can do in six hours today because of technology versus what could be done in even a day, decades and decades ago, vastly different. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's interesting. What about, so part two of the question was, a good part of my audience also is people that are early in their stage, early in their journey of building a business, or maybe even in some cases thinking about building a business. What would you say to those folks in terms of this is the path to go or things to consider? Oh, I love this question so much, Tyler. <laughs> I'm going to go a little off the theme path in terms of how I answer it. Please. I think in the very early phases, people are so focused on what they are building. Like, what am I going to build and why am I going to build it? Going even back to Simon Sinek, if, you, if people have heard of him and start with why, huge ideas and concepts around that. His whole golden circle of it's not how you do it, it's not what you do it, it's why you do it. I honestly, when I look back at how I started, I think there's a different bullseye to that circle, which is who? Like, who are you as a business owner or potential business owner, soon to be? Who are you? And how is your company actually an extension of who you are? Because if they're not connected and you don't start with who am I and who do I want to serve, you start focusing on like, it's like the window dressing and the building the walls to the house without the floor and the foundation who is more important than why and more important than what and more important than how. And I think it's a really hard question for people to answer. I have lots of resources and ideas around this, but it's really who you are that actually is your differentiator anyway. So I would get really clear with like what the emotions are that you have around what you're trying to build and why that's more of an identity than it is a business. I like that. I like Simon Sinek's Why is a great book. Sometimes, do you ever find people have trouble really digging into their why? Have you ever ran into this? Like, you'll you'll talk with them and and they're like, I want to make money. Why do you want to make money? And then you'll keep digging and there's, they just get stuck. Like there's, there's no like emotional bond. Have you ever run into that? And how do you handle that? I see it all the time. And I actually really believe the reason for that is yeah. because sometimes the purest of principles in business get bastardized as strategies. So when you ask someone what their why is, they think they need a why as a strategy because it's the next you know trendy thing to have versus recognizing that your why comes from your who, who you are. And you have to actually know that to be really, really good at business. I really believe that. 
Yeah, I like that. Not just, I mean, there are people that are, you know, killers out there that good, you know, amazing business people. And I don't know how connected they are to themselves. I don't know how connected they are to people on their way to growing. And so I think that you actually need it so that you're doing more than just making money and building a business. It's it's way more impactful for people. Yeah, I like that. Hey, you have an acronym, the KLR cycle, and it's related to referrals. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I first started this role, I started it out of going to out of the trauma therapy practice. And one of my first places where I wanted to change communication was in networking groups. Everyone's been to a BNI or a Provisors and they're all great networks. But you know what? That process of going around in a circle and basically waiting for people to finish telling you what they do so that you can talk about what you do and then hoping to get referrals because you put the time in every single month was really crazy to me, even though I know that it works. So what everyone's familiar with is the concept that you get referrals based off of people because people know, like, and trust you. And so there's this this culture around that of know, like, and trust, know, like, and trust, people who know, like, and trust you. So if I go to this meeting every single month and I create likability and I get them to know me, they're going to trust me with referrals. I don't believe that. I think this is the reason why people do not get referrals. So KLR is know, like, and respect. Trust is a byproduct. It's not enough for people to know you, and it's not enough for people to like you. They have to respect you. They have to respect you as a person. They have to respect you for your expertise. And if you get their respect, then you get their trust, and then you get a referral. And so I think it's a little backwards, and my my strategy around that is far more around conversational intelligence and relational intelligence and all the things we've been talking about, because respect comes before trust. Yeah, I like that. That's a good way to change it around. And once you have those three components, then the trust comes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Trust is a byproduct. It's a result. Makes a lot of sense. Hey, I always love to end with this last question. And along the way of your journey, whether it be a business or a life tip, is there something that you could share with us that we could apply either business or life? Yeah, definitely. You know what? Because my whole world is communication. And I would say that that's actually the thing that changed my entire career trajectory and success the tip and the thing to really think about is that it scientifically, maybe people have heard this before or not, only 7% of your communication is words, which means that the bulk, 93% is nonverbal and is is really an emotion. Because if you don't have visibility, it's just an emotion versus when you're looking at someone. And so the thing to really kind of contemplate and think about is if 93% are your emotions, what emotions do you use in your communication, in the way you talk about what you do? A lot of people try to use confidence and passion and whatever, what other positive emotions. But I actually think that there's a lot to be said around understanding where passion comes from and the fact that every emotion has an opposite, anxiety and excitement. Everyone knows that one. Passion and anger So if you can actually get clear with like what aggravates you in your industry, in your line of work, and you can answer that question around a problem you want to solve, that actually translates as passion. And so for me, the thing that I would give anyone and try to give everyone around a tip in business is to really understand the role that emotions play in the conversations that you have to grow your business it's always going to be a conversation. It's always a communication game as a starting point. You need all the other things like, you know, viability in the market and the product and a team, whatever. 
But at the end of the day, you create all of that through communication. So if you don't understand the psychology of it, it's going to be a lot harder. And if you do, you will go a lot farther and a lot faster. So really just understanding that the bulk of communication is actually an emotion. Okay, great. I'll put this in the show notes at thinktyler.com. Talia. Jacqueline.com. TaliaJacqueline.com is your website. If people wanted to reach out to you, is there another place they can go? Yeah. So our main website is visceralco.com. So it's V-I-S-C-R-A-L-co.com. And then on that website, you'll see a few other links to some of our programs and whatnot um, that have their own sites, but that's the kind of mother, the mother site. Very cool. And what do you have in store for visceral communication? What can we look forward to? A lot. We're working on a lot right now. We're actually in the process of building another company that Visceral will be under. That's all about bringing integrity back to business. So it's just a lot bigger. It'll be more of a business network that includes elite training and education. But um, personally, for me, the thing I'm trying to get past is this. I'm doing this TED Talk end of April. So we're less than two months out. And that's just one of those doesn't matter how much you've been studying communication, it'll give anyone the butterflies. So I'm just really focused on that. But what's coming is just, we're really playing a bigger game and we're, we really want to, we really want to support a lot more businesses and we're building the capacity to do that. Well, good luck on the TED talk. I definitely would love to Thank have, you. I'd love to have you back uh, after you've done it. Maybe we can talk about Thank it and, and bring it to life. I would love- Thanks for the great you know conversation. You are just you're uh, so eloquent in talking with you. you, uh, you. What I would have expected, of course, because it's your profession, <laughs> but I appreciate it. And I think there's a lot of stuff to pull from this uh, show. So. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening and thank you for having me. I hope you all walk away with something really tangible to think about. Awesome. Take care, okay? Take care. Bye. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.